Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Shot Volume. Today we're coming to you kind of in the aftermath of the Winnipeg Jets re-signing a couple franchise pillars, Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck. And it's an interesting thing because, you know, Anthony, you and I are going to agree, like, these are good players. You know, Connor Hellebuck is one of the best goalies in the NHL. Mark Shifley is a big-time offensive producer. But it is worth questioning what the Jets are sort of building here in that medium and long-term with these deals. Like, what's your initial read on what they're doing with this? It's – I get why they've done it. Everyone wants to sit there and say, well, Winnipeg's not exactly a hot ticket destination on the free agent market. And ergo, when you have good players, you have to try to keep them as best you can, which is what they've tried to do here. The question really, though, when you look at it, is whether it was worth it to keep them basically through the entirety of their 30s or if it was worth it to sell and try to start this thing over again and win. Yeah. And I mean, it's again, like you said, Winnipeg is a little bit different than other markets. You say, oh, is that salary cap room worth as much to Winnipeg? Because are they going to be able to go into the free agent market and spend effectively there? That's up for debate. But you can also use that money other other ways, right? Like you can re-sign your own players. You can take on bad contracts. If you're in a rebuild, you can become kind of a broker between other teams when they're trying to swing deals. So I don't really like that argument that like if they didn't spend this money in this way, what else were they going to do? It seems to me that, like you said, they've been building around this these two guys not exclusively these two guys but these two guys being at the cornerstone of what they do for like seven years now and they've got three playoff series wins to show for it really one great year so when you tell me like this has been a pretty good team but not great for quite a while now sort of with these guys at the center in their 20s when they're much cheaper Let's run it back in their 30s when they're more expensive and presumably less effective. Like that does not strike me as a good plan. Well, who's it worked for, right? Like, like if you go through mm-hmm. it, obviously Chicago wasn't successful. They did their winning prior to giving Taves and Kane massive contracts. Albeit, to be fair, those are much bigger contracts than what yeah, Winnipeg just handed sure. out. Uh, you look at San Jose, they did it with Logan Couture. They just signed Thomas Hurdle. Like, was it worth giving Thomas Hurdle that contract as they, I like, I have them as the worst team in the league right now. I they think were a lot of, of people do. Teams in the league last year. I don't think that they're, you know, sort of a generational Connor Bedard, like 
acquisition at next year's draft. I don't think they're that close to contending for like, it's like, well, those are the first three years of Thomas Hurdle's contract. You know, they, they had one good run with Logan Couture under this contract. So, you know, I look more almost at the St. Louis model where they have been, and you can argue it's backfired. That's the, that's where it gets interesting, right? They they walked away from Petrangelo. They moved on and allocated the money differently. And he has a second cup now. So and St. Louis has struggled. If if they kept Petrangelo instead of Tory Krug, and I know that it's not just those two guys, and there's you know a whole domino effect of things that would happen in that scenario. Would they be better off? I would still likely think yes. They moved on from Ryan O'Reilly pretty quickly, Vladimir Tarasenko. And those were guys that were like all three of those guys I just said were playoff heroes for them. Like they won a cup, oh, yeah. they delivered. And St. Louis turned that over without blinking. I mean, at minimum, they're not stuck in purgatory. They're going one way or the other. I think that the thing with this particular build is that yeah, you're hoping for that second act with guys you've built around before when they're more expensive. As you said, that rarely happens. The idea is you're sort of floating around respectability and you're hoping to make a jump somewhere. But it's like, how do you make that jump? It's going to be with young guys potentially who are cheap and come in, especially with them not having as many free agents. And you're not going to be drafting especially high. So you're hoping like, oh, we're going to nail some draft picks by seeing guys that other teams didn't see as stars. Or we're going to have some sort of player development wins where some of the younger guys we have exceed expectations. And all those things can happen. And I know that they don't want to have an empty barn and they don't want to have three or four years where they're just absolutely grim place to be. And that is part of it. You know, there's a business part of this equation. But if I'm... And they've lost the franchise. I mean, I don't think that... Oh, for sure. That's part of it. Like. They, you know, there are some markets where it's safer to wade into the waters of a pure rebuild than others. Like that's the fact of the matter. But at the same time, if you're kind of optimizing, you're zooming out, like uh, I have to believe that you'd be better off rebuilding if the goal, if the goal is to win a Stanley Cup. And like some people would maybe behind closed doors whisper to you that maybe the goal isn't really to win a Stanley Cup there. And that's what this looks like to me it looks like a team that's not really genuinely trying to win the stanley cup and hell i don't know maybe they'll prove me wrong in the next seven years somewhere along the line but when i see this i see a team aiming for respectability aiming for floor trying to make the playoffs trying to make revenue trying to fill the building and not one that looks going to be a serious contender in the years to come yeah that was one of my first thoughts too like what's the goal here like it can't it can't be to win like i don't know uh the one thing i will say is like connor hellwick is still legitimately one oh, of the best goalies un- incredible. in the world and can he be that for even four of the eight years of that contract it's tough too because it's obviously it doesn't even start now it starts yeah. next year so and he's already starting to get up there in age obviously same applies to shifley but having a really good goalie will take you a long way if uh, you know, just to devil's advocate on the other side, Shifley, is it likely that he's going to be extremely productive at like, 38 years old? No. Uh, but with a rising cap, is that going to be the most crippling contract of all time? I mean, Sid, you know, I'm not comparing him to Sidney Crosby apples to apples, but Sid just had an incredibly productive season at 35 years old. 
you know, was one of like he was the best five on five player, I would argue. And Kopitar and Bergeron, right? Like we yeah. there's plenty of examples of guys who are doing it in an advanced age. Is Shifley a guy Joe who's kind of somehow gets better? Only every year? that guy? I don't I don't know if Shifley's that guy. It, it it's it's at least at least worth worthy of pause to say, well, could he still be productive and with a rising cap, will that number not be so terrible to the point where I'm not saying he's going to be worth the money. I'm just saying to the point where they could fit him and still be a competitive team that wins. I'm not entirely sure that's their goal, but like, I think they could fit that. The cap part of it is important because I think we see a lot of these contracts and we see sort of that we get that sticker shock. We're like, whoa, $8.5 million. And we're thinking about in the context of the years we've seen. But for the future, if they, you know, if we don't get another pandemic here uh, and the cap keeps rising the way it's normally been rising, like they, they do become more and more manageable. And it's, it's possible by the middle to end of this contract, that amount of money doesn't seem as daunting as it does now. Um, there is a way in which this all works. Like you said, Hellbuck is, he gives them a really high floor, but he also gives that ceiling too, because a hot goalie can take you on a run. He's one of the most likely guys to do that. He's one of the best in the league. Like you said, though, I, I just keep coming back to the, like, what is the goal here? And if I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan, it's hard to be super excited about these moves as much as I like these players. I also think it's worth noting too, just for them. They do have some good young players that are coming up. Like I think Cole Perfetti is very good. I think they're going to be really, really happy with the Colby Barlow pick this year. Um, he seems to, he did the same thing in the OHL where he didn't go right at the top, but he probably should have. Um, I like there, it's not a barren wasteland, you know, depending on how you feel about Brad Lambert, like they've collected some high picks of late. And if you tank it and go, you like you'd have to somehow bottom out to a crazy extent this year to for it to be somewhat remotely worth it. Like they've at least collected enough picks over the years to build some sort of foundation of young players. Nikolai Eulers is still like he's not young, like early 20s young, but he's still like in his 20s and very much gonna be good for a while. Josh Morrissey, same thing. So when you kind of look at them you could say like they would have to be terrible. They'd have to be like bottom three terrible. And it's really hard to be that bad. I I think that's sometimes is a bit of a problem that teams have in the league. It's not like the NBA. Like you can't just be like, we're going to trade all these guys. And like, our team is going to be like legitimately awful. Like these guys can't even throw the ball to each other, let alone hit open shots. Like it's really, really hard to be terrible at hockey in the NHL. Well, the sharks are going to manage it this year. I promise you that. And that's with signing guys, but like just tanking the goalie position, like they they probably have the worst defense in the league. Like, like, are you going to look at Josh Morrissey and like, even like guys like Neil Point, like P.O. And Kyle Connor too, right? Like, it's hard to have all those guys and say, and say like, we're going to be awful. Like we're going to be bottom three, terrible. Like if you don't bring back Shifley and Hellbuck, you're probably just going to get, you are going to get worse but probably middle ground worse, not like we're awful and collecting top three picks worse. And then where does that leave you as a franchise? Yeah. I mean, you might be thinking about the eighth pick as opposed to the 17th pick. Like that might be the range of outcomes you're kind of looking between, which means, as you said, like you're not becoming the sharks overnight. You're not becoming the ducks overnight. 
I still would have done. I still would have tried to find, you know, that Shifley to Boston trade is the one that people always talked about. Maybe that wasn't happening, but like, I still would have looked to move these guys, look to clear out. And, you know, even those other guys who are under contract for longer, there's going to be a market for them as well. But I, what if you get nothing for them, like teams didn't seem to be lining up for Hellebuck. Are you just like, yeah. I'm giving them up for free? I mean, I think that's partly because teams are really scared of paying a goalie what he costs. Yeah. And you can we can have that talk. We spoiler, we will have that talk. Uh <laughs> but but that's I think that's a philosophical thing more than like if you put Josh Morrissey out there, if you put Kyle Connor out there and tried to find homes for them, I think you could make that happen. Again, like like I said, as a Jets fan, I wouldn't be excited about this. As a Jets fan, I'm excited about this in the sense that it it sucks to have a team that's just worthless every night and it can be depressing to watch and that's not what you're going to see here um so maybe i don't know maybe it's worth appreciating the fact that the jets have a good chance to be decent um but if i'm a general manager being decent doesn't get me too excited i would have traded them too to be clear i'm just let's you might as well devil's advocate and see how it plays out on both sides at least try to figure out what winnipeg was thinking to some degree but ultimately, like it's it's a core that just has not gotten it done. Their coach has been very vocal against, like actively against their <laughs> core. Um, and you know, those are right or wrong. Those are guys that set the tone for that. They're the de facto leaders. So, I I ultimately think they would benefit from a from a shakeup of sorts. I, I don't think it would be they tank and get a high pick shakeup. It'd be you'd have to somehow get some value out of those guys in a deal and then St. Louis style and, and kind of keep the young guys going and then adding in these other players as it goes along. Anthony, we we're just talking about the Hellebuck and Shifley thing sort of in a bigger picture perspective in terms of team building. But one part of this that interests me is that Connor Hellebuck has sort of become the latest goaltender to really get paid. Because if you look at the way goalies are paid in the NHL, like there's this huge middle class. Like there are 15 goalies for 2023-24 that are paid between five and $6.4 million against the cap and just three that make more than that right now. And that's starting to change. We saw the Islanders give Sorokin a deal. We now see the Jets give Hellebuck a deal. Where do you stand sort of philosophically on the idea of paying that top do- that top goalie a huge contract or having more of a tandem and spreading that money out? This is the worst position of all time. Like it, <laughs> it makes no sense. It, you know, obviously, if you're looking at it over 82 splitting and platooning goalies is more than sufficient like it is like have two one b-ish one a-ish types and you'll probably sort it out over 82 then you get to the playoffs every year and by and large the team with the better goalie wins the series it's really hard in a cap world i think what happened some 13 years ago is chicago played philly and both goalies were terrible and everyone saw it and went, Oh, for the first time in a long time, that was when people were like, Oh, you could actually win with terrible goaltending. But here's the thing. Them and Detroit pre prior with Chris Osgood, who wasn't terrible to be fair, but he wasn't a stud by any means without the cap and with the cap, but with back diving contracts, teams were creating rosters that were so incredible 
that they could outplay it. But now they've taken out pretty much every mechanism to build a great roster with a backdiving contract that benefits you versus other teams for the time being that you just can't make a roster that's good enough to really hammer home that like it doesn't matter what's happening in that we're still going to win. So I find it just the toughest one. You look at the highest paid goalies in the league for this season, Carey Price, career's over. Sergey Bobrovsky had an incredible playoffs last year, but by and large, has Disappointing not been contract for sure. Andrew, Andre Vasilevsky injured. John Gibson, like, does he? Who knows? He <laughs> who knows trade? what John has he Gibson not requested is. a trade? Does anyone want him? Does Anaheim want yeah. him? Does, like, who knows on that one? And I like John Gibson. I actually think he's a good goalie who's been on a really bad team, but you know he hasn't been helping the cause either. Uh, Matt Murray career might be over. Connor Hellebuck, who just got an, a, an extension that we're just talking about. But, you know, again, um, he's probably been the best example. Him and Vasilevsky, you could say. And then it's like the list goes on. Jordan Bennington got paid, has not been up to snuff. Jacob Markstrom might have tanked Calgary season more than any other player tanked any other team's season last year. Like, it's just, it honestly, it's like a made-up position. See, I... Everything you said is logical and you provided great examples. Like very literally you've gone down the list and yet still I feel like militantly pro paying a top, top goalie at the top market. If you're confident that he's one of those guys. And again, at the time yeah. we were confident Carey Price was one of those guys. And then we saw what happened to him, injuries and whatnot. Bobrovsky, I don't think I ever would have given that contract because he was a guy who had just stellar years and then years in between where he was kind of at, like you didn't have the level of consistency that I would year to year that I would have wanted to pay for, but I'd have no problem paying Hellebuck if I'm the Jets. I have no problem paying Sorokin if I'm the Islanders. Like I do think there's a differentiating, like a big differentiator between, I don't know, the five, six, however many goalies you want to say, who are like, you can really count on to be, I don't know where you want to market like a nine twenty ish save percentage type guy. Like those guys are so valuable because there's so much volatility. There's so much craziness where it gets tough is if you miss it's disastrous. Cause like, if you give out one of those huge deals, not only are you bogging down your cap, you can't afford to get another goaltender as a backup who is any good. So like Tampa Bay for now, for instance, like Vasilevsky is great, but now that he's injured, they didn't have the money to get proper depth at that position. So I love the idea of paying for top goalie because to me, it's like, okay, I can pay the difference between Hellebuck's contract and sort of your average starting goalie, call that 5.5 million. Like that's a $3 million player. I'll find some young guy to be the difference between like a minimum guy as opposed to a three to $4 million player. I'll eat that so I can have my amazing goalie. I Trade think that, for Sam Lafferty, there you go. <laughs> exactly. I think the difficulty comes in is that you are accepting that unless you have some young stud coming through, which is again, incredibly difficult to predict, you just have no depth there. So it, I find myself so torn because I think I find myself more bullish on the idea of like, I'm willing to do that, that other people aren't willing to do. I'm willing to pay that goaltender, but it is tough to put so much into a single guy I think possibly with injuries being the bigger concern more than anything else, because you want to start that guy a lot too, if you're paying for him and then you're, there's arguably more risk of injury if you're using him all the time. And if you're not using him all the time, what are you paying him so much money for? So 
I don't know. Like I, in theory, philosophically, I'm down with it. But then the further down the rabbit hole I get, the less confident I become in that belief. Yeah, you kind of look at a team like, like Carolina, who's kind of been, well, we'll just roll the dice with some guys and and see. And, you know, um, I don't think at any point Carolina's had an inspiring goalie situation over the past four years and run and running now. I know Ned Jelkovic came in and was a good story at like, he might've been the one guy you could argue and they were pretty quick to get rid of him, which turned out to be the right move. But point being is they've been very successful every regular season. You know, they're uh, over the last three years. I think they're second in the league and in points behind only Boston because Boston blacked out with a a crazy year. They might be third actually Colorado's I think second. Um, but that all that to say is come playoff time, I, I've always just it's an easy thing to give teams confidence for. You're not looking going. It, it's not like Tampa when they won their cups. You're going, well, even if we do get through all these great players, Andre Vasilevsky's a net. So it's such a weird thing. And I look at someone like Lou Lamorello, like, how does this guy keep doing it? Martin Brodeur, Jersey. It was, you know. And then he goes to Toronto. First thing he does, Freddie. And Freddie was very good when when Lou was there. He was easily a top 10 goalie pretty much the entire run. I I would argue he was maybe the rest player that first year they made the playoffs. And then he goes to the Islanders and Sorokin. Okay. Like, like what like this guy, this guy like the Pittsburgh Steelers of of hiring coaches in the in the NHL. Just like, ah, I just have one goalie and it is what it is. Like it's perfect. Makes your coaches look smart, makes your GMs look smart. And like a guy like Aiden Hill can go on a run in the playoffs. Like you don't necessarily need that brand name guy to do it, but who's more likely to do it? Like, I know that we just saw Aiden Hill do it. So it's easy to be like, oh, anyone can do it. And it's like, that is true. But give me the guy who feels like he's more likely to do that, who has a, a significantly better chance. And I don't know how to quantify that exactly, but a significantly better chance than your average goalie of giving you that unstoppable 10 game run uh, that spans over multiple series. Like the top, top guys, just to just give you a better chance of that. The free agent market heading into 2024-2025 took a pretty significant hit when the Winnipeg Jets re-signed Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck. There's still going to be some really interesting names out there. Anthony, when you look at this season and you look at the guys who are on contract years, who's someone who you're really going to be monitoring closely as the season goes on? The guy to me is, is Noah Hannafin. I, I think it's really hard to find good defensemen in the league. I look around at, at who moved this summer, for example, and, and it's funny because I'm saying it in a year where the reigning Norris Trophy winner was was moved, but he's a little bit older. I'm very curious to see how his game translates back to playing on a team with actual expectations that plays with an actual system and actual structure, but we'll get to that in sure a different episode. So I I look at Hannafin and say I, I, he's the best defenseman on the market next year to me. It doesn't sound like he wants to return to Calgary. It actually sounds like he specifically wants to go back to the States. Uh, so the availability or the likelihood that he hits the market is high. The chances that he is the best defenseman on the market are extremely high. I think that's a... He's not a franchise-changing player, but he is a player that makes a significant difference for whoever he goes to. He can do a little bit of everything. I'm very curious to see how it plays out with him. 
Yeah, I think defenseman and free agency is fascinating because I'm not sure we have a full handle on exactly how to quantify defenseman's contributions as well as offensive players. So sometimes you get a beauty is in the eye of the beholder situation where some teams are going to value someone as a you know top pair, top four guy, and other teams don't feel that way. I'm not saying Hannafin's not as ambiguous as that, but I just always yeah. find defenseman contracts really interesting. Uh, the guy Ryan that Graves got. Yeah, I mean, and that felt like a little bit of the Vegas had a bunch of big defensemen, let's go get ourselves a big defenseman type of contract. Not that he's not a good player by any means, but it just like there was so much talk about like, oh, Vegas won the cup by having a million big defensemen. And I felt like he was a guy who's going to benefit from that. But the guy who interests me and, you know, not the top name on the market by any means, but uh, one that's a little bit, I don't know, just just below that top tier is Sam Reinhardt. And the reason I'm interested in him is because he had that year in 2021, 2022, where he sort of established that new level of offensive production. We're talking 80 points, as well as being you know a well thought of player on both ends of the ice, someone you don't have to you know shelter minutes with, someone capable of playing a lot of different roles, logging ice time. And then last year he fell again, you know, he's a 30 goal year. So it's not a bad year by any means, but he, he came back closer to what we'd seen from him before. So he's a guy where it's like, if it looks like 2021, 22, you could, you know, he's a younger guy for a free agent too. It'll be 28 soon. He could get a really big contract if people believe like, oh, this is a two-way player who gives you potentially 80 points. And if he has that year, that's more like 60 something points. Then people are like, oh, this is an elite second line player or like a first line player that doesn't necessarily drive the first line. Not one of my very, very best forwards. And the range of outcomes for him is interesting to me as someone who has kind of gotten new life since he went to Florida, but doesn't get as much credit for, you know, the way Florida's progressed. There's so much oxygen sucked up by Matthew Kachuk that I think a lot of times the other guys on the team don't get potentially enough credit. He's one of those guys. And whenever you're dealing with a guy who's a little bit younger than a lot of the other people on the free agent market, there's always the potential for that contract to come in bigger than expected. They've also kind of forced him to drive the third line, right? Like, it's not just all the Kachuk noise. You know, Barkoff is on a completely different line. That means they've kind of pushed Reinhardt down, but that's an important role. Probably doesn't get enough attention. Um, You need to have three lines in the league now. I think that was one of the big reasons that Florida was so successful in the playoffs last year is they had three lines rolling, like, Anthony Duclair got healthy. That helped them just kind of spread things out. Nick Cousins was good in the playoffs for them. And, you know, the fact that he is driving a line is is noteworthy, especially because he's a winger. Just in general, though, I'm just I just find wingers entirely interchangeable unless they're, you know, the Kachucks or the Marners of the world, Pasternak, like the elite of the elite, just wingers that can score. If you find, you know. Riley Smith just had 56 points. He got traded for a third round pick. I understand there were cap, you know, yeah, there's a lot that goes into that. They're wingers, man. There's, uh, uh, well, I'm not giving up on a whole position. There's not enough positions <laughs> in hockey for me to give up on one. So I'll be watching Sam Reinhardt closely.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.